going to try to convince me to save the world. Some of our ideas are a bit ambitious. I know how hard this is for you to hear. Government should be afraid of their people. You got the makings of greatness in you. What we do in life echoes in eternity. If you could see your whole life from start to finish. We would be given a choice to betray our chosen destinies. I have to believe in a world outside my own mind. An idea that is fully formed, fully understood, that sticks. Love is the one thing that transcends dimensions of time and space. Are you watching closely? Welcome, my beautiful, wonderful listener, to the Talking About Talking podcast, where we talk about everything and anything, and we talk about talking about those things. Today, I am joined by Derek Myatt. Derek owns a garlic farm in Montreal. He's been farming for 11 years, and for the past three years, he's been traveling the world, working refugees during the winters, teaching them to farm and live a sustainable lifestyle. Thank you for joining me today, Derek. Hey, nice to finally meet you. How are you doing? Good, Thank man. you for that beautiful intro. Yeah, yeah, I do what I can. Uh, so you <laughs> you told me last time that you've been wanting to work with refugees since 2018. So first, when did you start working with refugees? And then why why do you say you've been wanting to since 2018? What made you start wanting? Um, I was in... I was in um, I was in Ivory Coast working on this mission to give out. Um, we were producing one hectare irrigation kits, and I stayed there for six months. And I seen that um, I was I was seeing how like uh, I was seeing how like uh, how much impact I was doing, and I just wanted to get further um, closer. I went to this village, and I seen how people the villagers were living. And I went to this cacao farm where there's like the whole village was collecting chocolate. And I was like, oh man, like my mission here could be even greater. And then I guess it touched me um, a lot. And I wanted to, instead of working with business, I wanted to transition towards people is more or less the short answer okay. to that question. So I guess. When, when you were working yeah. on the Ivory Coast, it was all business purposes. Yeah, it was business and a lot of like, um, there's a lot of like, yeah, more or less business and trying to um, get farmers like better equipment because most of the stuff was coming from China and um, or it was coming from Israel. And they were just like, there, there is like either you're getting really bad quality or you're getting like, um, you're just getting like really good quality, but too expensive. So we're coming in and trying to get better quality and for a better price from stuff from the United States and Canada. That makes sense. But yeah. So you also used to work at Young Roots Farm for about 10 years in Montreal. Yeah. Yeah. Young Roots Farm. Yeah. Young Roots is a project that um, me, Liang, and our friend Kai have, um, well, Liang started it and I was one of the first employees that was there. And it was uh, just beautiful it was such a it's like basically it's 450 kids from uh inner montreal that come through um the camp and learn about uh sustainable agriculture and um also just getting exposed to vegetable cooking um and just sometimes it's the first time they've pulled out a carrot radish seen zucchinis or cucumbers or squash so it's very education educational and um that's where my passion for farming actually grew and um yeah yeah and you were saying that that 
program was specifically designed in a way to kind of favor lower income families. Yeah, exactly. So majority of the people that end up coming to this camp and are from uh, underprivileged backgrounds, from broke homes and uh, like in foster care. So it, that's why I'm saying it's like, it's very important, their exposure to nature. And we had this like pesto project where people would also um, like uh, the kids could go to markets and they were making a product, they were making um, um, pesto from our garden to have garlic, basil, and we'd buy like stuff like salt, pepper, and some sunflower, and then we would transform it, and then we'd go to market, and then it would expose them to um, like different skills, like learning how to like, excel stuff and getting out of their comfort zone, and um, talking to strangers. So it's all these like, like different um, different uh, skills that they could use. And um, maybe to also like tell them that things are possible, you know, and show them that they could make money and uh, that and just expose them to that world. Yeah, that, that, that is do really awesome. And I think you were saying that like the cost of it was scaled to each family. Yeah. So like Camp Amy Molson's mission is really um, to so that it's accessible to, um, to every family. Um, and that's their huge mission. Camp Amy Molson is uh, has done that for a long time it's a camp that's been around since 1944 and uh about uh, about 130 kids come per session so and there's three sessions and then there's some lap over some kids come all summer so you get to grow that bond from them yeah nice huge yeah i, I hate to throw us off here i I can only like see your forehead. Oh, sorry about that. Sorry yeah. about that. There you go. I was just more focused into it. Oh, sorry about that. Yeah, there we go. Awesome. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> you mentioned going to New Zealand. What? Why were you in New Zealand? So I went to New Zealand to kind of like kickstart um, to a travel and do a work holiday visa. It was a huge dream of mine to do a work holiday visa for people that don't know what it is. Is um, um, for the viewers, you can apply to go to New Zealand and get a work holiday visa where you can work for that um, in the country for like uh, like two years if you wanted to and um, you get it within 24 hours you just apply and uh, you can can go through it's really cool um and it was hours. big yeah the application like boom and then wow you can just go fly out there and uh, yeah so what you're telling me is if someone's listening to this and i think 18 is the requirement on that yeah is there is there like old. an age cap is it like targeted to youths 35 okay so if you're between the ages old. of 18 and 35 you could go apply to this work holiday visa in new zealand right now and then in like three days be in new zealand working yeah we're King, wherever you want um and yeah and i i use that so that i can go work on small farms and go hiking and also um the minimum wage out there is really high too so it's like 18 dollars and uh, 1870 and then they give you like holiday pay eight percent holiday pay so it's really cool so it's kind of like i went out there to explore like it's such a beautiful country and i you're you're like so lucky if you get to go out there and um experience the hiking out there and the countryside and the farming out there is really good as well it's like very um very beautiful and you can almost grow everything 
in that country. Oh, really? I didn't know that. They got the kind of temperature and ecosystem that you can grow everything. That's kind of cool. Yeah, like uh, it's very yeah. The temperature out there is really good too. It's not a it's a very mild winter. If you notice me looking to my left, my notes are on this screen. By the way, I'm not like not paying attention. Yeah, yeah no, no, no. Just it's so, all good. It's just all so we're good. clear on. <laughs> you said you uh, walked the Camino del Santiago, and so it's a it's a pilgrimage. I had to look this up because I didn't know what the hell you were talking about. So for our listeners, pilgrimage, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but a pilgrimage is this uh, ritualistic walk that is done typically, uh, it's typically founded on, I think it seems like what I was seeing, a lot of it was founded on the Catholic religion. And it's about yeah. walking where Jesus walked during whatever famous moments that Jesus traveled to different areas. And and it's not always Jesus. You can do a, pilgr a pilgrimage based on other other famous persons in the Bible and religious purposes and where they went and stuff. So, so this Camino del Santiago is over a thousand kilometers, I believe, and and you you walked the whole thing. Yeah, the original the original um, way to walk the Camino is from your front door. So, if you live in Europe, anywhere in Europe or in Asia, you would just like start from your front door and start this like walk. So, if you lived in Germany, if you lived in hungry you would have to start from your from your front door but because most north americans and asian people that do end up taking this pilgrimage they're the majority of the people start at the front hill of the uh Pyrenees in saint jean the saint jean de pied fort where is uh where more like I'd say 30 to 40% of the people start from there. So what, start what's special about that spot? That spot is like south, the south of France and the northern, the northern hills of, um, of, um, Spain. So it's like this really super beautiful start to the hike. You're crossing over, um, like this beautiful rolling hills of, um, of the Pyrenees and it's like it's just awe more or less and I think why the most the majority of people why they start there is just because um um it's just it's like a beautiful point to start there's like trails that start everywhere like is um, there no like you start Sorry, is there no like religious connotation to that location? Um, I, I if there was, I wouldn't hundred percent uh know. Okay. Because there's over a million different parts of um like there like all of Europe has starting points. Okay. So majority of people I think start there because it's a really nice part of the the mountains, and then you just do a nice um you do a nice view of over the mountains. You cross the border from France to Spain and then and you start your walk towards Santiago. And how long did that take you? I, 30 days, like about 30 days. Like I started on the, yeah, I started October 3rd, um, October 3rd, 2015. And um, I finished around uh, Halloween. Then uh, I continued to the end of the world at the, at the time where they thought it was Musha and Finisterra, which is the furthest point east of Europe or west of Europe. Right. Yeah. Did you? Did you did, were you question? wearing a, a, a clamshell? Did you have? Yeah, I had a clamshell. Yeah, yeah. went up and I had it on my bag, and um, it's just like so spiritually um, awakening. Like everyone has their own reasons why they do the Camino del Santiago. Um, certain people do it for religious backgrounds. Um, some people do it because they've lost. Uh, 
a person in their life. Um, some people do it because it's a nice, um, it's a nice goal, it's a nice mission, or it's been a dream, or they've heard about it through other people, and they heard it's like a beautiful experience. I heard about it when I was in Vipassana um, that same year, and I did this 10-day silent meditation. And at the end of that meditation, people were, I was like, oh, how'd you hear about this? And they're like, oh, a bunch of people recommended um, the Camino. So I was like, oh, I knew that I had to do the Camino because people were speaking so highly of it and how it changed their life. Um, and for me, coming outside of that um, Vipassana and telling, asking people why they came here and they, they were so adamant about me, know that I had to um, do it. And it was by far the most beautiful thing I've ever done because you meet people from all walk life. And um, yeah, like I've met like every person from the globe, I think, was on that on that trail. And you're just the one goal you have is you wake up and you um, start walking yeah. and you have start chit chatting with strangers. And then you have these deep connections. You start talking to people about your either your deepest secrets or your most vulnerable parts of your life. And um, I met like lifelong friends that I still talk to that like they were, they were on it fundraising for mental health and I was kind of my role when I was there is just trying to listen to people while they're healing on their healing journey so yeah it was so special that I, I love the sounds of that. That sounds awesome. This, like you specifically said, like talking about your secrets or your vulnerabilities, is that like a commonality of people that do this? They, while they're walking with people, they talk about these vulnerable things. Yeah, I think, yeah, like you let all social barriers um, down and you just start clicking with people and then you start chatting about real things, you know, like the first five, five minutes is like, oh, where are you from? Bun Camino. And then you actually go go into these deep conversations of like um, life that you're having or struggles that you've been through. And then you can really, at first you're a stranger. So you're just like, you don't really care what you're saying or how you're feeling. You can, well, because you're just being so vulnerable and you know, you're in this safe environment, you know, or at least like, and you just let out a lot of your emotions. That's pretty neat. I, I've spoke before about how I don't get it when you go on like a city bus in Toronto and you're basically a bunch of people that have a commonality you have you ride the bus and you're all going somewhere so you got somewhere to be everyone has a destination everyone rides the bus you already got some stuff in common and you're in this little box that is a room for a duration of time you just got to wait until you hit your stop and yeah. nobody's talking to each other about anything everyone's just in their own little world and reading their book which that would be nice they're really not everyone's on their phone or like listening to something and, yeah and I listening always, to us yeah <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome if one day that happened. Uh, but basically, it's to me, I'm like, why aren't, why isn't more people talking to each other? So I like this idea that you're kind of proposing this uh, on this pilgrimage of these people that all have a common goal, that are all spending some time near each other, that are just taking the time to get to know each other and kind of make those deeper connections. And that's just something that I feel like we should be doing more in the world, kind of everywhere. But every time I present that, people are always like, oh, I don't want to hear about other people's shit and people don't want to hear about my shit. And 
whatever it's my problems are my problems and their problems can be their problems kind of thing and i don't think that's true what's your take on that yeah i was having this conversation with my uh with my uh my girlfriend we were just talking about that because we're i was i was um we, i was just coming back from iraq and i was showing like we were talking about, i was talking to her about the community and the sense of community that like everyone um has this deeper longing for their friends and their family and everyone eats together and i was wondering why we live these like individualistic lives in in canada and is it due to the government is it due to businesses what what's like what's the the cause of our individualistic is it the way we've been raised in the west and or is it due to our lack of religion that is bringing us together and i don't necessarily have a a good answer to why we're not talking to each other on the bus but i do see that people tend to be a lot closer and like i think it's about judgment too i think we live in a in a in a world where we're constantly judging people um for what they're wearing for what they have or whatever and i think that's a huge uh challenge i think that we're we're going through i think that's a real point the whole judgment factor like i i have a one-year-old she's 13 months and i've really tried since becoming a dad to lose my judgments because going into being a parent i had all these kind of preconceptions about what kind of parent i was going to be and Mm. the strategies i was going to use and why i was going to parent the way i was going to parent and with every decision comes consequences one way or another like nothing nothing is perfect right and and like we for example we co-sleep so I just slept with my daughter last night and my fiance slept in another bed so that she could get a full night's sleep because my daughter is a terrible sleeper. She does not (laughs) just sleep through the night. A lot of people are like, oh, my baby at six months, I just put him down and he'll sleep for six hours. And I'm like, fuck you. Yeah, that's nice. (laughs) Um, But she just thrashes and whines and needs comfort and needs contact and needs to cuddle. And so like Mm. I used to think, oh, people that sleep train that like, let their baby cry it out i used to think oh you're a bad parent like why would you let your why would you do that to your child obviously they're very upset and whatever and and i just was in my head on this high horse about co-sleeping and now i've seen how much of a struggle co-sleeping can be and i'm like okay i get it <laughs> like if you if you want if you want to sleep train your kid you go for it no judgment here you do whatever the hell you want and so yeah I yeah think, i think more people need to do that that whole uh eliminating judgment yeah exactly yeah especially that we're like i we're like i feel like our society also has been a little bit softened up you know we're like very soft and uh we expect everything all the time instant gratification but i'm not i guess it doesn't necessarily come at a very toddler age too though so i think yeah just yeah yeah talking about people being soft that's that drives me that's a whole that's a whole thing actually i want to i want to touch on that i don't know i do want to work that in there was a specific thing i wanted to work that into though because like you can get it yeah so first i want to get into what you're doing so where where have you been you've been in iraq you've been to jordan yeah and i've been to greece you've been to greece right to greece you went to that moria refugee camp yeah okay so what do you want to talk about first you want to talk about moria or do you want to talk about the other stuff you're doing in iraq or jordan yeah i think we can talk Take it whichever way you want. Um, we'll cover all of it. We but. can we can cover uh, Moria refugee camp now if you want. 
and then yeah. we can go into yeah yeah so finish I, off with what I looked into that too and uh did you <laughs> holy shit so so for the listeners uh the moria refugee camp was the biggest refugee camp in europe it was based in greece i believe it housed mostly syrian refugees and right, right. it was originally built and intended for 2500 people in 2018 it housed 8000 and greece was considering shutting down the camp and in 2020 the camp caught fire and yeah that was there most of the shit burnt down and uh it's been evacuated and the new camp is karatepe i believe karatepe. yeah yeah and that's yeah. uh in athens i think is it i don't remember exactly no 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 it's still it's still on the island still okay on the island yeah the and island. when i was there the numbers keep changing but i know on the island for sure there's thirty-five thousand people and about nineteen thousand people were at that camp when I was Holy there shit. and now that, that was the number that was being so told around. What year were you there? I was there in 2020. I was there right during the pandemic when the pandemic happened January throughout. Um, there was a couple fires before and then there was a fire that happened um, just after um, well, the, the fire happened a couple months after I actually left. But in 2020, it was when I was there, I was uh, teaching. I was teaching, um, I was like teaching farming and gardening. And it was this like place at One Happy Family where um, this, where, yeah, this was like probably the crazy experience of my life. Like I was, um, yeah, so I'm here, I'm just going to put this down. Is that okay? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, basically I was there in 2020 and um I was, I was actually, I ended up going to Greece. I didn't know that I was going to end up in Moria refugee camp. I thought I was just going to go to a refugee camp. And then when I got to the island of when I went to the eco hub where I was teaching, like teaching and facilitating this like really calm area that people can escape the camp and just relax and um just like breathe because that camp is so chaotic if you if like you can hear and i there's like oh man we was, i was working with a lot of unaccompanied minors that were there from the ages of three to 17 without like parents or family members that were taking care of them and there's about like 3,800 kids that were didn't have parents with them and they were just it, yeah, there's not enough bathrooms. Um, there wasn't enough um, doctors, water, rationing off water. You would with people would wake up at like fidget, which is their first prey. So they would do their first prey and then stand in line for food. And the food would only open at like eight o'clock. And the military would everyone would line up. It's these huge lines, huge lines of people waiting for food and take like three hours, four hours hours to get like a piece of toast and egg and um and then they'd have to wait or go into town or or go to other organizations to get lunch and um yeah the estimated time if you were there was like two like six months to two years if you're lucky and i met some people some, that sorry that like, estimated old... time is for what like for them to move you out of the camp to somewhere <laughs> else or yeah you to athens to another camp and then you would go to that camp and then you would um yeah you'd go from that camp on to another camp 
So before we keep going, I do want to address uh, a refugee. Like I've heard the word refugee a bunch before, but before talking to you, I was like, I just kind of had a general idea of what it was. So refugee is basically someone who is escaping their country because there's typically a war or some sort of catastrophic event that's pushing them out of their country because they feel unsafe, right? And they leave their homes yeah. and they take bare essentials, basically. And this is where it got interesting because I was watching, you can find this video on YouTube of this kind of little documentary, these two guys sticking around in the Moria refugee camp after the fire, just scrounging for metal scraps and doing everything they can to get enough metal scraps to pay for food. And then I just see a clip of this guy on a cell phone, like a nice iPhone, and he's like FaceTiming his mom. You kind of think it's kind of weird as someone like me has all kinds of opportunity in my life to see a video of someone with a cell phone that is scrounging for metal scraps to pay for food. It just doesn't seem like that adds up, but they were living a normal life in their country before they had to exit. And and it was just that a phone is an excellent tool and you're obviously going to hang on to that as much as you can to be able to communicate with your family yeah. and stuff like that, right? Yeah, so oh, just to add on, like when that fire happened, like there, there was no assistant, no aid for like five days. There's like no water. People were lining up begging and you had like 8,000 people going without food and water. It was like they lost everything. They've lost their passport that like they've already lost. And then to be at the camp and the little bit you do have, you know, like people are in these tents. There's like 16 people in these tents, you know, and they're already like, it's so dense. You go in there and there's so much, everyone's stressed, you know, like everyone is like not necessarily living their, their full, like they're not fully always there because they're like stressed out. They're always looking for their next meal. They're always like, so you can't fully be your whole personality when you're out there and it was just so sad to see that and to go to work and just there's every this day. sense of like vulnerability at all times right yeah and then when especially when you have to go lose all your things again for the second time after a fire like by like the whole camp like you, that that was home to like even if it ate to like 15,000 people like just gone all their stuff like everything they thought that they did have they had to leave again so it's just like it's really it's really tough and i always applaud their their strength and their faith and their hope to like keep going and their lives are gonna get better and yeah and yeah, i remember just feeling so trying to do my part but knowing that i'm just trying to inspire people to keep go out through. and keep pushing through and give them the bring smile smiles to their face and just give them something distract them for a couple hours of their day where you can like just make their day a bit a bit better so i gotta ask when when you're in this place and you're trying to teach these people how to farm essentially you're trying to teach them how to grow their own food and you're also talking about we kind of talked together about how so incredibly packed these places are how do they have space to grow anything 
Yeah, that's a like growing your own food or growing um like any of your own food or consumption or just seeing a, a a plant grow from being small to um adult form or you're just kind of giving that hope to yourself too it's very um um therapeutic where um people are just like caring for something else you know and it brings a lot of peace to these people and um a lot of these people it reminds them of back home because they've already like been farmers or these people were lawyers, teachers, um, bankers, you know, engineers, a lot of these people, construction workers, crane workers, and like there, you wouldn't, you like a lot of these people, you hear their background story and they're just like me and you, like highly educated, you know, and it's like really sad that like what, what happens of like we have these pre judgment of these people are just poor or like they are not educated when in their countries you know they're either they're bankers like um entrepreneurs and when you have this terrorist group be like oh i'm gonna like kidnap your your child or they'll take their child and like give me everything you have or else i'm gonna shoot your child in front of you or i'm gonna drop you from a three-story floor and like i don't want to say it but like rape your 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 wife or all, all these different um thing like all these different um things that they use against them to hold and then you're stuck giving everything that you have and having to flee your country because you just want your kids to live in a safer place so you'll go from turkey to um to try to get to europe on a rubber dinghy and like leave your past behind you and get somewhere safe you know and i think that's really yeah. important the point you made to kind of double down on is that these people aren't just poor people that haven't worked hard enough or didn't have the means to i don't know save themselves in a better way or anything like that like they're they're just like anyone that is potentially listening to this right they're it, like you said bankers lawyers and a lot of people that might be listening to this or people that might be listening or people that might be living in like canada or the united states might be thinking oh i'm i'm i don't have to deal with that well yeah like good for you you don't have to deal with that but like you could have magically been born on a different part of the planet it and you would have had to deal with those things you it could have easily been you and i don't think that we're immune here in north america to those kind of things i think that like i'm pretty sure right now like banks are collapsing like in in droves there's currently a incredible financial crisis where a bunch of people are going to the banks and asking for their money it's just causing all kinds of chaos and so it's like what happens when everything goes just ass up south and, yeah exactly and then belly flop yeah and then what you don't have money and there's civil unrest and you don't know how to get food and all the supply chains are messed up like we saw a glimpse of what could happen with covid and so like it's just it's it's amazing to me that people don't realize their vulnerability regardless of where they are on the planet. Um, yeah, like we even saw it with Ukraine, you know, like Ukraine are people of um, white color, you know, um, and you don't even have to go that far. You know, there's like in Europe, like Bosnia, right near Croatia, there is huge genocides in the 90s, you know. Like people remember that stuff and that's like really close to home, you know, or yeah, I, I feel like we're not vulnerable. Like we think we're immune. Like you're saying to echo what you're saying is, yeah, we think we live this super safe life and these people are just trying to have this safe environment to go to where we've been migrating 
it's what we've been doing as humans is been migrating for the time from the day of our existence we've been moving around moving away from one threat after another one yeah and if you get the opportunity to be born and die in one place you're a very fortunate individual in and I'll, yeah go ahead just uh, also a lot of these people don't want to leave their home country you know we have all these like people they think that oh they want to leave a lot of these people are happy you know they don't have these stresses that we have out west you know in the western world of like um like like financial stress a lot of these people are like happy with what they have back home and they're really um very content people where i feel like with to echo into what the conversation we were saying before is like we're like we're always constantly wanting more and always at wanting more and more and we're kind of like spiraling into never being happy and falling into these depression like depression you know where i feel like every time i've traveled i've never seen that much depression that we have like like we have out in canada you know or like this like yeah the yeah. whole keeping up with the joneses capitalism you gotta if you're going to be successful it's going to be the number in your bank account that's going to make you successful that kind of thing so you're saying you're not really seeing that in these other countries no not at all no one's like on the rat race scene you know like every like people generally smile more like every like they smile more though they're laughing more so why would they want to leave you know like a lot of these people i was talking to is like oh i'm America is like a huge balloon, you know, and like this American dream, it's full of just helium. It's like a big balloon and then you pop it and there's nothing inside of it. So that's how I was explained by a, um, a, a person to me the other day in Iraq. It's like no one really wants to go to America here anymore. Huh, that's interesting. That's a really good analogy. I like that. It's like a balloon of nothing. It looks all shiny and then it just gets one little needle and there it goes. And it yeah. seems like that's entirely possible. I mean, if the if the sun farts big enough and sends out a solar <laughs> flare, right? Yeah. So the when you were at this Moria camp, because you've been to Iraq, you've been to Jordan, uh, some people might think that like, wow, that's crazy. That's Those are dangerous places. But you're most scared for your life your mo moment in your life was in greece yeah it was i was telling you the story about how i got attacked by 30 um greek mobsters and they fully attacked my car and um there was like 40 of them just like attacking attacking us like we we're we we're just there there's a lot of tension on the island you can feel it you'd go outside Everyone was like, it was kind of eerie as every, everyone was quiet. Um, the whole city kind of shut down. Um, so me and my friend were going to leave the this small part of Mytilene and we were going to go just go for a drive and go see the other, a different part of the island. And um, we are coming out of a, we're coming a rental place and we're seeing two manifestation. We're seeing like one big one that uh, is like super left wing and people are just kind of like just it happens like on the weekend and like every weekend during that time the tensions were really high and uh we we're like you know what we don't want to go there we're just gonna go through another another part of town there's just kind of two exits to the town so as we we're approaching to the next exit the roundabout we had to slow down and all these right-wing fashion people started like seeing that we weren't from we weren't from um greek we weren't from greece so they started like at first 
first they were just like hitting the car, showing that we weren't welcome. And then it really fastly got like really aggressive. Yeah, it escalated really quickly to like them throwing chains and rocks at us and breaking up all breaking all the windows and we just like they we were trying to like end up like our car stalled a couple times too and we were there's cars in front of us cars in back of us but they were just like we were really targeted and um because of the the car rental they knew we weren't from uh greece so did you get insurance on your rental there (laughs) we did but they didn't care they're like this is not insured for this kind of stuff so um jesus totaled the car they ended up totaling the car one guy like once they like punched they got it they got to us pretty quickly and they're just like punching us in the face they grab me out of the try to grab me out of the car unbuckle me we're like hitting me in the face and then one guy took a glass piece of shard trying to stab my friend in the neck jesus christ and we were both hold, we were both holding the guy's hand back and thankfully there was some locals that were kind of like calming them down and then um you can see this like on you this videos on youtube like the chain is like the the car is like fully like like we were just in full shock i didn't leave my house for like three days i was just like i was like thinking about cutting my hair i had dreads at that point and i was just like oh man like i'm like i'm i could be seriously targeted again you know like um and yeah we like we got we got really lucky that trying to kill us or they were trying to really hurt us and feel us make us feel like we're not welcome and then after that after that happened they were um these same mobsters or like fascist people were starting to burn things down so they started burning ngos down like that same ngo that i was working for they burnt down the school they were attacking like they were attacking ngo residents like what's ngo uh, and a non-governmental organization yeah like uh yeah they were really out so they were like they were paying for everyone or all volunteers to leave the islands getting that bad that they were just they were just like it wasn't safe like it wasn't yeah, safe I, for I anybody think that's an understatement <laughs> yeah, yeah it was like they were really like they were just trying to get ngos to stop being on the island you know mm-hmm. and um uh i left for about a week and then i came back because like you that fire happened right after like and then that right after like uh a couple days right after accidental fire that happened so sorry the fire happened after you got attacked yeah like a couple days after i got attacked like uh, a bunch of organizations were like there was a bunch of there's like about 40 to 50 organizations there and they were just shipping people off the islands it came to the point there didn't want to be any liabilities for the ngos for the organizations until it calmed down and then i guess after a month um people started getting arrested and like i'm still going to court for my car and stuff and people like off video uh, they started recognizing people and bringing people to court so what, so i just got an email what, about that what video actually so who took a video um uh the people that were attacked and they posted it on social media like so there's video people, of like, you getting punched in the face uh of the whole the, of the whole thing like 
the car Jesus. them like yeah i i forgot to send that to you i'll uh send that to you right after i'll send you the link okay and um and if anyone yeah. if anyone listening to this wants to watch you get your ass beat and nearly die <laughs> where do they find that it's uh somewhere on um on youtube if you type in like lesbos uh car attack and you'll uh you'll you'll find it Lesbos, easily so l-e-s-f-o-s lesbos oh okay L- it's lesbos l-e-s-v-o-s then yeah, yeah exactly attack. oh great let's yeah. let's watch derek get his ass whooped and nearly die that's great it's awesome <laughs> yeah no. jesus that's yeah, but insane. I, yeah, people. Like, the thing is, like, when when you're when the island's like seventy thousand people, and then you add an extra thirty thousand in refugees. Like in 2015, a lot of people were like o- opening arms to it. Like a lot of people, when like what created that tension was that Turkey, um, the the EU basically wasn't paying Turkey what they wanted and or what they promised that they would pay. So basically. Turkey has this like open policy where they'll keep they'll bring in refugees and then so that they know that the refugees end game is Europe. So in 2015, when there's um, refugees all over Europe, they're like, oh, we're going to make sure that this doesn't happen. So they paid, they were paying Turkey to keep refugees inside through their Navy, um, through their Navy, um, like uh, through their Navy, um, like army. It was like a big game of um, catch and release, you know, they catch them trying to go to Greece, then they would take them and then they would bring them back and then they would have to spend uh, 30 days in jail and then they can try again. Um, So that's what was happening. And then um, Turkey was like, we're just going to open the border to Greece, Albania and all these like bordering countries that touch turkey and europe and they're like oh for three days we're gonna just not do our work at the border so people took it in their own hands to like the greek people were taking in their own hands like shooting rubber dinghies out you know like shooting them when they were on shore not letting them go and like you see this video this fame like this video of this like lady like being on the shore and everyone just like calling your names while that her child is like kind of drowning and they just watch her drown with her child and they don't give a fuck Jesus. sorry for my language and like it was just really it's like the like it's hell on earth you know this this refugee camp like going to refugee camps in in the middle east and it's like you don't you don't see this it's like modern day like these concentration camps are like modern day like concentration camps you know so hang on before we get too far away from this basically yeah. there's a system in place for when people come across to greece illegally that the government uses their resources to like you said put them in jail or whatever and they have a system to keep people from illegally immigrating right and you said for a three-day stretch they basically announced that they were like yeah we're not gonna do our job yeah then so what what they were getting in three months as refugees on the border they were getting in one day so they were getting about like 15 to 2,000 refugees a day so they were like getting 6,000 refugees instead of like so what what was the point of of, why did they why did they just say yeah we're gonna just not stop people from coming in and like how does how do they announce that they're they're announcing that because the eu wasn't getting wasn't paying turkey what 
they wanted. And Turkey was like, had the upper hand, like, oh, well, we have all these refugees. You want us to be like 2015? So we'll make it like 2015. And they just like, like oh, okay. lift the cover. They lift like the rug on like the, the problem under the cover, you know, like. Right. So it's not the it's not the Greek uh, government that deals with them. It's the Turkish government that keeps them from illegally leaving. Yeah, because if they're in in like Greek government hands, then they're like seeking asylum mm -hmm. into Greece. So if you have the Turkish Navy stopping them, then it's their problem. Mm -hmm. So so basically, then there was a situation where Turkey is in not not a situation. I'm sure it's still this way that Turkey. He is the gatekeeper for these refugees yeah. and they were promised an amount of money from Europe and they weren't getting that amount of money. And so because they weren't getting the money they were promised, they were like, you, you want us to be gatekeepers? Guess what? We're not going to be gatekeepers anymore. Let's see what happens. And then exactly 1,500 then to 2,000 puts... people a day started just going over to Greece. Yeah. And then you have like these famous like pic well, these pictures that were happening where the the Greek people were like stripping them naked and then sending them back to Turkey. Jesus. Like they yeah. And like you like it was just messed up like that. That whole week was like that whole week was just like crazy. And you like. COVID was just popping off as well at the same time, you know, like no one knew what COVID was. Everyone was like, everyone wasn't really sure what COVID was. Ha and like, it was just like full. This was like, yeah, right in the middle of um, the pandemic. Yeah, that's a peak amount of chaos there. Holy <clears throat> hell. Yeah. Okay. So you, you then, yeah, you worked with them there, nearly died. So that's good that you didn't so that you could yeah, yeah. continue spreading the love. And you said you were in yeah. Iraq and Jordan. Which which one were you? You were in Iraq recently. You were already in Jordan. Yeah. So, yeah, I ended up last last year. I am. Um, this is where greening the streets happened. I was uh, I spent my whole my whole year when I came back when I came back from um, Greece. I was like, oh, like I want to start a business um, with my um, with my um garlic company and then through that through that i could fundraise money to end up starting garden refugee camps so um i spent like maybe less than a year trying to like fundraise money and make money um farming and also um yeah farming and um like finding an organization that would be interested in um wanting to collaborate on a project where we would like uh have 300 trees or families where i teach farming and also start a farm with refugees that was like um the goal that i was having and i would um bring seeds from canada organic seeds from canada Canada and um, bring it to local farmers that wanted that were like having um, wanting to transition to like organic seeds or just have a bigger selection in uh, seed varieties because a lot of what the seed varieties in Jordan or in the Middle East is like very like they're really just like oh this type of tomato oh this type of eggplant and then that's kind of it so I was trying to bring in seed varieties to farmers refugees and so that people can um, feed themselves you know um, through either rooftop gardening or if they had access to a piece of land close to the refugee camp um, 
so this was a Palestinian refugee camp in um, in Jordan. Um, these were like third to fourth gener um, yeah three generation refugee camps. You know um, the Gaza the Gaza it's called Jarash refugee camp. Um, but these are Gazans from uh, from West Bank uh, from Palestine from the Six Day War. So they've been there since six. 1967 since the six day war and yeah they live on like a dollar 25 a day these re palestinian refugees so so these people came from palestine and yeah they there was a six day war there that moved them into jordan yeah so they were held at like gunpoint um through the israeli government um when there was the six day war israel um attack um um to for people People that don't know what the six day war is israel declared war against egypt jordan syria iraq and saudi arabia and um they just demolished them in literally 24 hours and uh and then after they had completely demolished all the airports in every of those countries in in like four hours and then there was a lot of battling for land for the extra like six days and then a lot of a lot of um yeah a lot of uh what happened was that um because before the Gaza Strip was Palestine, it ended up being like ruled by um, Egypt, and then the West Bank was like ruled by um, was ruled by uh, Jordan. This was pre sixty seven and pre forty eight Nakba, which is uh, nineteen forty eight, um, when right after the Second War, um, e like. England gave land to Jews and they're like, oh, we're going to go back to uh, what was Jerusalem at the time or Palestine. And they took that land and then they gave the, the English gave the land to the Jews to create their own government and their own, um, yeah, their own government there. And then they pushed out a bunch of um, every like little by little, they were encroaching on Palestinian uh, territory and making it smaller and smaller every year. And then that's when the Six Day War happened in 67. And so this Six Day War pushed these Palestinians into Jordan. And you said that they were third generation, like you're, you're teaching people that have been there for three generations as refugees? Yeah, exactly. So um, this, this um, refugee camp um, is... Uh, this refugee camp anyone that's 55 years old in that refugee camp was born in that refugee camp Jesus. and hasn't left yeah so hasn't lived like hasn't left yeah, like hasn't left that camp or it's just like they're not allowed to vote in jordan they're not allowed they have zero votes they would have to pay the same tuition as if me or you wanted to go to Jordan to study. And there's about 40,000 people that live in this refugee camp. Now, is it hard and to become a Jordan citizen? You can't be become a citizen if you're not, if your parents aren't Jordanian. You can't just like Canada has like this thing where you can either be like, you can be a permanent residency there, but you'll never be Jordanian. Like they don't give like citizenship 
like we do in Canada. Like huh. none of the Middle Eastern countries do that. Really? That's interesting. Yeah. Because I know Switzerland, you can get a citizenship and you get a citizenship in the United States, obviously. I'm sure you can in some other and, European countries. Yeah, for sure. Huh. It, like even if I was like married to like a Jordanian, I wouldn't, my kid would be Jordanian, but me physically, I wouldn't be Jordanian, you know? Or Iraqi. You can't even get or... it through marriage. Yeah. That's crazy. That's so interesting. I yeah. did not know that. And you said there was 1,400 people in this camp you were at in Jordan? 40,000. 40,000. That's a lot more. <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah 40,000. Yeah. yeah. So did they have more space, physical space here than in Moria? Um, I'm not sure about the surface, but this is about a kilometer squared. Like, yeah, a thousand square meters. A kilometer squared for 40,000 thousand people yeah yeah it's and it's like a concrete jungle that's and, not yeah, a the, lot of space bro <laughs> no man <laughs> it's not a lot at all and yeah real like the thing they like winters there are really cold too they're really high up in the mountains and all their houses are made out of bricks there's no insulation and these people have like like makeshift like barrel like oil barrel cans that they turn into they turn into like stove, rocket stoves in their house and like they'll gather like wood that they've found because you're not allowed cutting trees in that area. Thank God you wouldn't have any forest uh, there. But yeah, like imagine making like a dollar twenty-five US. Like a lot of people face malnutrition and that's why my goal is to go there and try to as much as possible grow organic food you know like urban gardening in this because a lot of the this camp's been went from um emergency tents to mud house to brick houses to like it's like it has phases you know mm -hmm. or well, when it's been around for three generations they're going to be doing some yeah development. yeah like like people like, like collect all their money and they try buying cars or they inherited from their grandfather like everyone like it's very common to have like nine people living in a house you know like nine to twelve people it's very common there and and you say house and people in their mind they're listening to this in Canada like, yeah, they're, like, they're yeah. like oh yeah like a house. house yeah, yeah. like house. two yeah, bathrooms like a, a basement and upstairs <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah no yeah, you're talking no, about a fucking not, brick box like, that's what you're talking about yeah yeah exactly exactly and and they'll try to go vertical as much as possible as like you basically working to buy more brick so that you're like can house your kids if they get married and then they can live upstairs and you like living there because the chances of you as a Palestinian like seeking asylum to other countries is very little you know can these people um, this is an odd question but can these people take advantage of like the New Zealand thing where they can just go and like work uh, in New mo Zealand most, no like that's just strictly towards like Canadians and also like other like countries like it like countries basically come up together and have these like agreements that all oh, a certain population of my population could go work mm -hmm. here and vice versa and it's all these like trades oh like it's funny because the U.S. It gets exempt from all these um working holiday visas like I think Canada it could work in 30 countries yeah I know there's one for the Switzerland because I was looking at that at one point and you're talking about this 
this one in New Zealand. I've heard of people talk about it in Australia. And uh, I just wanted to touch yeah. on that because I thought it was an interesting yeah. kind of point while we're discussing these people that have fled their country because of a war and they've stayed in this refugee camp that's a kilometer squared with 40,000 people for three generations. And they have like no opportunity to go anywhere they have no options they're out of options they have no money they're living on like you said i think a dollar 20 a day or something like that and and, and i'm just thinking well, that like these people whoever's listening to this if you're between the ages of 18 and 35 like you just said you can just go to 30 different countries in the world and work and experience different cultures and make money and that's not an option that other people have in the world yeah and and your passport too you know like we we have like a really good passport relative to a lot of different countries you know and like some passports like just like your passport is like everything to like some passports are so bad that you can't even go to countries without having this like huge like if you don't have like twenty thousand dollars in your bank account you can't even go to this country because they think you're gonna just stay there or they'll just like be super like uh racial profile you for the country that you're coming from you know that's super and, interesting i never i never thought about it that way i never thought about like the value of the canadian passport i never thought that it held a special value above others i thought a passport was a passport yeah yeah, no, yeah, exactly. So you there's like really bad passports that you can have and then like Iraqi passport, let's say Pakistani um, passport, there's like certain passports or like a Somalia passport, like, like you, you're just like or Iran passport where like your government just doesn't get along with other governments or Western governments. And because maybe you don't even really your values don't align with your government's passport like government's dictatorship or anything but that's still as a citizen you're held on to that you know like you're held captive to what your government is doing you know yeah and it, I, I would like to just kind of state the obvious while we're on this subject and you're talking about these yeah. people that have these Iraqi passports and stuff and it's based on the lottery of their birth just yeah. just so we're clear <laughs> here listener they they were unfortunate to be born in the wrong part of the planet so if you aren't born in one of those places you should just you know thank the universe for a second that you're Canadian or American or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, okay, so you're in Jordan. You're in this 40,000 uh, person, one kilometer squared refugee camp. And you were talking about uh, getting like planting trees, like fruit trees. Yes. Yeah, trees. So there's like 300. Yeah, let's see if my uh, my phone's going to gonna make sure that doesn't happen you, you want to take a second to get a charger uh, yeah. yeah 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 i'm just so, just a little worried that um, my phone's gets looking it's acting up oh yeah i caught it right on the river <laughs> good stuff yeah, caught it at one percent nice. nice all right so yeah where was where was i sorry yeah You're i talking guess about you can the trees. this yeah so um i've been wanting to um wait get, can i can we do what you gotta do all, like yeah. yeah i just need to pee real quick yeah too. yeah it's a good idea yeah all right so before we get into this um the, you're talking about the trees and the fruit trees for this refugee camp i just wanted because i was just thinking after a little bathroom break there i was just thinking about yeah. like after the the pandemic and everything i had a lot of not awesome things to 
think and say about Canada because I really, I really don't love a lot of the things that were done to deal with the pandemic and the way it was approached and whatever. With that said, I, like I've said earlier on, I try to remove judgment and I try to think about if I was in the positions of power, if I was whatever the prime minister or premiers or any kind of person in power that had to make any decision, I might have made a shitty decision too. I might have made a worse decision. Who am I to say? I'm no freaking expert on any of this shit. But with that said, it's just kind of interesting to think about like after having this conversation with you, I just in my mind, the value of my passport, like I know where my passport is in my house and I'm just envisioning it physically and the the, the value of that object in my mind has just increased tenfold. Like <laughs> I, I seriously used to look at that and be like, oh, this stupid controlling bullshit that I have to show this piece of paper to be able to travel the world or whatever. And it's like, no, 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 that's a ticket to opportunity. And, and I really should be thinking about it that way. And I really should be recognizing that, yeah, maybe the current government, maybe, maybe Justin Trudeau isn't an awesome prime minister. Maybe he's not awesome. And maybe the current state of our government is not great, but that does not mean Canada is shit. There is still yeah. a lot of really good value of just living in Canada and being Canadian. Um, so I just wanted to kind of make that statement before we moved on a little bit of a yeah, realization. Sure. So <laughs> so trees fruit trees yeah oh yeah basically that's yeah, a good um a really good point because uh we've been i guess a lot of people like don't scope out you know they're we're not zooming out like eagles are you know we're just kind of in our everyday life just looking to uh looking at our everyday life and seeing like oh inflation no 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 but if you actually go out like we're so blessed and we're so um yeah we're so blessed to be canadian and appreciate our everyday life like you would like or just be grateful for everything you know yeah. and i think the lack of gratitude as a citizen has like made us like to, nah, i don't i don't know just if we had more of it we'd be in a different place i think i totally agree and i think that all ties into what we were talking about before with people being soft which i still intend on getting to and what we were talking about before with like people not sharing their deeper stories as much with each other people being too held into their own little worlds and how having blinders on and not being so open to other people. I think it's kind of all yeah. one big picture of those issues intertwined. So you're in Jordan, 40,000 people, kilometer squared, trying to get some people fruit trees, like a fucking yeah, cent. trying to. <laughs> yeah, so I'm trying to do that. It's always been like a dream of mine for a while. So to do it also with like no big organization um, and trying to do it independent, you know, which is like, because a lot of people or a lot of organizations are like having to show or having to show boast all these numbers or they can't do this because it doesn't look good or they have people that are just kind of like having to make everything look so fancy in order to get money because they're trying to please their donors or ple please their beneficiaries. So to do it independent for me was a very important and to team up with local um, with local organization instead of approaching a bigger organization that has like that would just think of me as like a, a small fish you know and you go to a it's more like impactful going to local organizations that are actually on the floor on the front line and making that impact and adding additions to their pot so for me it was really important 
platform to do that. So I'm. Can I and interject I have a very for a second small, here? I just yeah. want to understand better. So you're what you're currently talking about. You're when you're going to these places, you're finding local organizations that are already trying to do what you do, or they're just already involved with the refugee. They're community? already involved. Yeah, they're already involved. They're a lot smaller than bigger organizations. You know, like there's bigger organizations called, like that are um, huge. You know, in the aid in the aid like uh, world, there's JIZ, there's uh, and like uh, United. Uh, what's it called Norwegian Refugee Council, and uh, there's just like like uh, American Aid. There's these are like uh, World Vision, or like you have all these like huge like um, um, organizations that have like they're in every country in the world. World, you know they're almost in or they're in like 150 countries so i'm like really trying to like dial into an organization that's grassroots that's small that has less of a footprint that i can team up that are maybe more on my level i can talk to someone right away i can like um we can collaborate faster than if you have to go and talk to an executive director that has to talk to someone that has to talk to someone to just get an answer mm-hmm so seeking out small something a little less local organize a little less bureaucratic uh yeah exactly so i and i, and I, I do want to get through to what you're actually doing i'm I, i'm thinking like if there say there's someone else that was like i want to do what derek's doing like you don't just get a plane ticket to jordan and go knock on the refugee camp door right like how do you like that's what i you, did what <laughs> seriously yeah like i just like i got had a plane ticket and i was just like did some like did a lot of like the foundation work like oh like talk to organization who wants to collaborate like who wouldn't collaborate and just like finding an organization that aligns with what i want to do you know so you Um, literally showed up knocked on the door and were like with a bunch of seeds like and money and fundraise money and then found people that wanted to collaborate and wanted to work together and wanted to make a difference because they're so passionate about it you'll find people that have that sorry burp no it's all good and i love that i love this this is perfect because i was like okay if someone wants to actually do this how do they do it and the fact that you're like like your your strategy you're currently doing it like you're really genuinely making a difference in what it sounds like and and the fact that your strategy was literally go do it like that was it you weren't yeah (laughs) and i just i just point that out because i'm like a i'm the kind of individual that i just research the shit out of stuff like too much like I've had way too many projects in my life where I'm like Googling how to do stuff on the project. I'm, I'm like looking at how do I make this happen? How do I do that or whatever? And then I never even fucking do the project. I never even actually take the first step. I just learned a bunch about how to do it. I've done that way too many times. Not proud of it, but I've done it a lot. Yeah. And you're just like, no, 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 no. Plane ticket to Jordan, showing up with some seeds and some cash. Let's make some shit happen. That's freaking awesome. So yeah, because that, that like you... I feel like there's an there's like an art to 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 going there and to finding out what's actually happening on the ground, you know. And you don't know what's happening on the ground you show up. 
Mm-hmm. Like I, I, you can fairy tale every um, email you, you that you ever want to until you show up, and then it's not anything that you thought it was gonna be. Like you know, um, especially if you don't have any background in um, like international aid, you didn't, ha- you don't have your bachelor's in international aid and you want to make a difference go show up and there's hands on the floor waiting for you and um pick the country that you that really suits you that you have passion towards or that you know like for me why i like try why i choose the middle that it's like it's a desert you know like it's the first it's the first people that are gonna be another wave of climate refugees when we have average like temperatures of 50 celsius like they're not gonna come knocking like they're like all these countries are fighting desertification and it's refugees that are at the forefront of that you know yeah so and, while we're while we're on this i, I wanted to get to this uh, yeah later, sorry but while yeah. we're yeah, on yeah. This, the, the the soft people we, we talked about people getting too soft and i think that's happening a lot in first world countries in north america in particular and people seem to be in my eyes making up problems that aren't real problems they're finding things to be mad about that aren't real things to be mad about. They're acting like there's these catastrophes that aren't really there that you just gotta, like, they're not real problems. Like, these people are in an apartment or living in their house with their parents or whatever, and they're on this phone that slaves have suffered somewhere to make the battery on it, and they're sitting there tweeting or posting on social media about some bullshit that is not actually a real problem, or they're like, hashtag stand with Ukraine or some shit and they don't actually know anything about the war going on like at no point have i ever made any claim about ukraine or the war in ukraine with russia and everything like oh that's so awful what's what russia's doing or isn't ukraine corrupt don't they have a lot of corruption no i'm not gonna i have no intention of staying any statements in any direction on any of that because it's an incredibly complicated subject and i don't know dog shit about it and i'm certainly not going to just take only information from mainstream media and construct an opinion around that and so it's astonishing to me that there's these people that are making these statements that you I'm sure you know what virtue signaling is. What, no, what's virtue okay. si- yeah. signaling? Yeah, so virtue signaling is this new term that had to be invented. Blows my mind. That is that you're you're making statements typically on social media or however you want to that is signaling to people that you're virtuous. So you're making statements like I stand with the Ukrainian people, right? And it's like, okay, all you're doing is saying I'm acknowledging. Yeah, you're just saying acknowledge me. You're just saying I'm special because I'm standing with the Ukrainian people. That's all you're doing. You making those statements is not helping people in Ukraine. Are you sending someone money that like lost their house and they need to pay for food? Did you find someone that lived in Ukraine and shit happened to them and they're struggling to find food and you fucking Venmoed them some cash so that they could pay for dinner? Like that's you're helping, but don't tweet about that shit because just do it for the good of your heart. You don't need to get recognition for that kind of shit, right? And so it's like a big, I, I know I'm kind of rambling on here but i'm trying to like paint the full picture of kind of what's happening Mm -hmm. and to me it's there's there's just so many people in the world right now that are doing this kind of shit they're virtue signaling they're acting like they're contributing in some way and they're fucking not and they're having opinions about shit that just doesn't make any sense on why they would have such a strong 
opinion when you know they have limited information or they haven't actually had their boots on the ground or they haven't actually taken the time to consider all sides. And they're not, not only are they not making a difference, they're just doing nothing constructive. They're they're providing no help to anyone. And then I, I start talking to someone like you and I'm, okay, this fucking guy is making shit, ha- shit happen. This guy is doing something significant. This guy is helping people in a very serious, very practical way. Like I think about uh, donating. If someday I had ridiculous amounts of money and I was going to do some philanthropy and I wanted to donate money to something, I would find people like you and I would be like, hey, Derek, how much money do you need for fruit trees or how much money do you need for travel to these mm-hmm. places or seeds or something? Someone that's doing a real thing to help real people and I would invest in that, not some company where people are doing question. So uh, I think what I'm looking to kind of to send this back your way and get your words on all of this is what are those people like in my in my mind, as you can probably tell by my demeanor and the way I'm talking, those people that are in this category of virtue signaling and not doing a lick of good are infuriating to me. How do those people make you feel? What is your take on those people and where their heads at and how and what they could be doing differently? I don't know, whatever, whichever direction you want to take. Uh, I would go back on to what you were saying for well you're kind of saying that people like you're talking about soft people and i just wanted to um say that i think that every re, like, everyone's going through something that we don't know and um and also uh um yeah everyone's going through something that they don't know and you can't measure people's pain you know so i just want to like, basically say that that i think emotions can trick you into anything but at the same time those emotions are true to you at that time you know and to we're all trying to become better people hopefully and um that's how i would approach kind of what you're going to and to i think people it's like not kind of pushing them down because those people actually care actually having a conversation about it where i think um is very important if you get like the more people that are talking about it the more there's the more clout or the more um like like the thing that i also don't like necessarily too is that like aid work it's like the next what's the big next catastrophes getting all that money you know so like all the money that was happening in syria or libya or sudan is all going to ukraine now and when there's a other huge like catastrophe or war all that money that was getting funneled into ukraine is not getting into ukraine anymore it's going to that next thing and it's just kind of like or it's going back to yemen you know and like so i don't want to i don't want to like hate on those people because like obviously they're like they're just either learning about it for the first time and we're all or like at least acknowledging that there's a problem you know like you can live your whole day on social media and post something that also be like oh i'm having having chicken for dinner and i'm gonna post a a picture you know of it and at least like that someone reads about it someone's not aware they go in read about it you know so like i won't i won't hate on that a hundred percent because maybe that's their way of even contributing is that you know prayer like people actually go out and prayer you know 
people mm-hmm. stop praying and praying is just uh is like a vibrational frequency that that people can actually send their energy and their good vibes or their actual thoughts if you're saying that you're praying towards something and then not praying about it then like shame on you but um yeah i think i think it's important to note so that my words don't get misconstrued i my i said it, it infuriates me i'm not mad at these people like they're bad people i'm not like you're stupid I'm, i want to be very clear about that i don't think they're stupid people i'm not mad at them i'm just standing at it from a position where i can see how little they're actually doing and i can also understand the people like you exist and i'm like want like to me i see that with their actions they're like <clears throat> i have this heart where i want to help people and i'm like okay but you're not like you got to do something different you know what i mean like you, if you really want to go help people you it's, can and there's scary, tons of though. opportunity oh yeah i'm not saying people gotta go to fucking jordan like you you nutbag <laughs> jesus that's insane no no but no. I, but i'm saying that people most people don't know where to start you know and just like or they're really don't have someone behind them giving them that first push you know yeah or they're like or they're still stuck like oh like oh am i gonna give up everything give up an apartment give up like all these different things just to live a nomadic life and go help these people and then try to make like i've always done it on my own dollar Mm -hmm. like i've never only now after four years of doing it i'm getting like a little bit of money through a friend that actually funneled me into a, a, a project after four years of spending six months um, or six to four months a year volunteering and just going out there and giving my knowledge and doing it out of my heart, you know, mm-hmm. and not expecting and also what i'm saying too is like i i also don't see myself like i'm making a huge difference because it's for me it's not about necessarily making a difference it's about bringing a smile to these people's faces and maybe they're it's not the same thing gonna yeah i get like just like that's making a difference man. I make- <laughs> you add one smile to the world you've made a difference yeah <laughs> and like one and, tree at a time yeah exactly <laughs> not not only one smile like you're you're feeding people you're and you're you're literally teaching a man to fish right like i mean you're not and and then yeah like, like not, not, te- fi- not I, I, yeah right like the teach man to fish feed him for a lifetime obviously right so you're exactly. teaching these people to fish not literally but figuratively but, yeah and <clears throat> if they had water i'm sure they would fish yeah exactly right so that I, I you were talking about funding i was going to ask about that too where i got a two part question where you said you raised a little bit of funds for this jordan project project you had when you went to knock on the door you had a little bit of fundraising and my second question is if someone wanted to support derek in his endeavors to give people seeds and fruit trees how would they get you funding um yeah you can like i i guess like my email we could chit chat through email or instagram and uh or facebook or anything mostly yeah through that and then i would at that point i'd be like oh am i like what's my next project you know mm-hmm. and then I uh, like I'm I'm like I'm going in June right now to finish that project in Jordan for that refugee camp so I'll be like um spending money on fruit trees spending money on containers so people have more greener space so for sure people can reach me at that and it's a life goal for me you know I'll be doing this for my whole life How like, old are uh, you? this is up there 28 28 that's awesome uh yeah so when you what did you where did you get the original funding you just 
just said a buddy funded you for this? Um, originally, I uh, like originally, originally, no, originally, originally I think you said it was yourself. It's like always on my, yeah, yeah, it's always been um, my own um, money. Last year, I did a huge like GoFundMe, um, where I what where I fundraised like seven thousand dollars, you know. Oh, that's awesome, and then, yeah, so I could make a lot of uh, a, a, a big or small um difference for me, a small difference with a lot of like with a small amount of cash, you know, mm -hmm. like I'm not paying myself. I'm not paying people. I'm just going out there and buying the raw material and making it happen. Yeah. That's awesome. So, yeah. So that's pretty, it's pretty noble. I think a lot of what people attract, like they're always like, Oh, this is so cool. You don't pay yourself. You're and like, for I like try to make sure that expenses are covered when I leave Canada or that I don't have any overhead when I leave, you know? So like, um, if I'm leasing an apartment, I have someone living at my apartment, and I don't have like a cell phone bill that's coming in every month. Um, and like, I don't, my car insurance paid for the year. I, I like give it to like, send it to my sister. She can use it or I selling my stuff so that I go for a bit longer. Um, and that's how I, I go, you know. So you mentioned cell phone bill. <clears throat> that kind of reminded me, these people in these refugee camps that like still have cell phones based on like all the stuff we talked about earlier on how they become refugees and how everything ends up happening. Is there Wi-Fi in refugee camps? Like, it's like basically like, like there's, there's internet people buy cell phones, you know, like Canada is like the most expensive place in the world to get a cell phone. Like I just like just coming back from Iraq where like to get unlimited limited everything cost you less than $15, you know, unlimited talking, limited texting, limited internet plan, like for $15, where in Canada, if you wanted that same plan, it cost you $120. Jesus. Or like $110. Like everything's, and that's like for almost all of the world is that we have the highest paying company bills. Like we should be really going, like striking <laughs> against these cell phone companies. Like I talk about inflation. These people are making the most money on us you know yeah like it's it's coercion well i don't know we got a really good passport we should maybe let it slide just take the hit on the nah, cell phone nah. <laughs> no okay yeah we right. still need to live man yeah let's rise up rise up against the cell companies yeah. curse you kudo yeah. sorry kudo i shouldn't have named you you're my company i love you you guys are great anyways uh, you're <laughs> you're yeah. bringing these trees to jordan and so where do you get the trees like how do you get trees there like you can walk in with a pocket full of seeds but how do you get trees not a pocket i'm, I'm going with like I suitcases yeah. full <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure you got a lot of yeah. seeds it was it was more of a metaphor you can't really put yeah. a tree yeah. in your pocket you can't put a tree in a suitcase maybe you could if it's a small enough tree but the point is where yeah. are you getting the trees mostly i'm dealing with local um tree nurseries that are in the region they're already adapted to the climate and it's basically you already know what they eat you go to those trees you're like oh they and i also choose what family wants you know like oh this is family what what kind of fruit trees do you want and then i'll be like okay i'll get that for you you know mm -hmm. and then it's more like i'm not i'm not saying here do you want this i'm asking them what what kind of fruit trees do you want you know i already know what kind of seeds what like annuals i know what they kind of eat their diet so that's what i'm bringing i'm bringing tailored seeds that are what they eat every day you know mm -hmm. and um and for the trees i'm asking the families oh what what do you want peach tree 
Please, you want cherry, you want apple, you want um, olive tree, what do you want? And I'm getting it like already fruiting, you know, so that they don't have to wait seven years. They don't have seven years to water this tree. I'm giving it to them where it's ready to fruit and um, ready to go, ready. Like if it's not this season, it's next season that it's like fruiting. And do these this refugee camp in Jordan, for example, do they struggle to get water like the one in Moria did? Or do they yeah, have... It's even more stressful. Like water is even more like intense, I'd say, than Moria. Well, Moria, like you're, you're like, there's dr- drinking water, you know, is really intense. Like, and that's like, like you're not doing, you're like, yeah, I guess both of them, both sites like are struggling for water, you know, but one's like more temporary. It's supposed to be temporary and the other one's permanent you know it's mm. a permanent camp and there's difference between emergency camps and permanent camps and so um, this permanent camp that's in jordan right yeah there you're saying that they really struggle to get water how can they stay hydrated and afford to water a fruit tree yeah so basically like with the design that i'm doing is it's taking their gray water so they're like drinking water or their um, the rain water i'm like collecting rainwater during the raining season and then with like all their dish water or their um if they're doing laundry um it's just getting funneled through here and it's having like a natural gray water system that can filter that water so it'd be able to be used into the fruit trees afterwards so you give them this like technology or you help them build it or yeah yeah help them build it it's like a little box that um like this thousand liter cube that they can um if they're doing dishes or if they're just taking a shower they can funnel that water so that they're not they're using that water multiple times instead of wasting that water you know and uh obviously they have a bit of water you know so like there you don't need that a hundred percent too much water because you can get like have shade nets so that they're slowing down evaporation and also mulching so like with straw or um, greens that you're um filling out there's like a lot of techniques like a waking bed that the gravel at the bottom so like like basically a, a barrel of water and half of it is like for the roots and then the other one is water and it's the roots are drinking from the bottom of the of the barrel and not drinking it from the top where if it exposes to the sun that water has a chance to evaporate Mm. where if you're putting a hundred like 20 liters down into that barrel it's gonna drink a hundred percent of that water and there's zero evaporation that's interesting so like so the roots reach down between the gravel and into where the water is and it's not like exactly and soil that's wet because the soil that's on top would get the sun to evaporate it but they got this water in the bottom that's really um yeah so where do you get the materials to build these like water systems so i always try to work as much as with uh, what they have in the refugee camp and if i can't find it in the refugee camp so i'm trying to like support refugee businesses as much as possible and then if i can't find it in the refugee camp then i'll go outside of that because i want to try to make sure that my project is 100 percent being spent almost in the refugee camp besides the trees that are happening also right i never thought of that so these permanent refugee camps have businesses inside them yeah exactly we think of refugee camps of like don't have their own businesses but the majority of them 
have their local that have money going you know like yeah. wherever you'll have people you'll have money people exchanging money between each other you know and palestinians and arabs are like used to be like are known for being good business people you know from the day of time like since the beginning of what we call religion jesus like palestinians have been there when jesus was there you know making money and passing down those genes and passing down those like as much as the the jewish people were at the time you know like mm -hmm. they're like yeah yeah that's really interesting and so you're you're uh i think you said you wanted to get like 20 to 30 families last time we talked 300 trees or something yeah so 300 trees um between the 20 families so that they can have like their own um their own like mini orchard mm -hmm. that they have and their like little oasis on their rooftop where they can just be like have a place to relax and then they could also uh, make cuttings out of it you know where mm -hmm. you teach them how to make cuttings and then those cuttings can get rooted and then they can have like have mother plants you know and then from those mother plants they can have babies like you can make like 10 to 15 trees off of one tree and then that's like you're constantly making more trees happen you know like the granny smith that we all eat today is breeded by one mother that we've been cutting that we all know of like in canada or in the u.s is through one mother the granny smith you know it's all through one cutting the same genetic the same and you people also underestimate or these are all so these people know that too, you know, you give them a tree, they're just going to try to propagate it as well. You know, it's not anything new to them either. They've seen it being propagated. They're close to nature. A lot of this stuff is I'm trying to show them where they don't they they can waste and then try to give them an opportunity to make money as well through these trees and um if they're passionate about farming, you know. I'm not going to ask a family to do it if they don't want to do it. I'm not like they'll, you'll have more of a success rate mm -hmm. with that if you find out what they want you know or so what they need what can all fruit trees work like that can you cut a branch off and turn it into a tree with the right strategies obviously yeah most trees most trees can um most trees can um you would use a rooting solution you can take a root too of like and graft it um so you would take a root and then you would like you can also do layering where it's really popular now on like social media you would like cut a part of the branch off and or like scar one part of the branch off and then the other part and then you would take off the bark and then you would add like a cup or something mm -hmm. and then it would root and then you would at, at the end of like three months you would cut it and then you would have like a like a, a fruit tree that would cut um that would be uh fruiting a lot faster than mm -hmm. other trees you yeah, know it's funny if you, you say just... that i saw a video of that yesterday of someone like like you're saying ripping the bark off wrapping like a ziploc bag of dirt around it and then some tin foil around that and then leaving it for whatever three weeks or something and coming back and it's got a bunch of roots and they cut it off and then that's a tree yeah. so so that's air that's air layering and then there's just like like cutting cold cutting where you're trying to like cut it and then um fig trees mulberry trees are like the easiest trees to do it because they like love like they're easily propagated you know mm -hmm. like a lot of like even like most trees are and plants you can propagate them like that you know yeah mulberry trees that makes sense so i i don't know if i mentioned this i'm a 
I'm an ISA certified arborist. So I'm a, I, I'm a basically a lumberjack. I cut trees. I've worked in tree work since I was a kid with my dad and mulberry trees specifically are like freaking weeds, man. Those things, yeah. you can hack them down to nothing. And unless you completely obliterate the stump and every root in the ground, it's coming back. Those things yeah, always come sure. back, which is nice that they uh, grow something that you can eat. So that's cool. Um, yeah. And they're so delicious. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Mulberries they really are. are. We, we had one in my parents' backyard. I grew up with one and I ate from it all the time. Yeah. Uh, so tell me about this. Uh, you, you're talking about like making these, I don't know if you call it an irrigation system, gray water system or whatever you're talking about and you're buying the materials when you get there. So you're not just like, technically you're not really just going and being like, here's some seeds. Here's how you water them. Here's how you take care of the plants. You are also doing like, I hate to say, but a certain amount of engineering as well. Like you're not just showing up with seeds and throwing them in dirt and saying there you go see ya is there anything else that you're like helping them build to make it more efficient or is it just the gray water system um it really depends on on the on the person and how what they're like i'm going there and trying to design as much as possible what makes sense you know what makes sense to them and what they're willing to do where are they how far are they willing to push themselves i'm trying to like see oh is this good is this not good are you okay with this um and then just trying to read this like every like redesign things that are like coming in from a designer's point of view you know and what makes sense what's a good idea like showing them a different way of thinking about it as well you know like a permaculture lens throwing a permaculture lens to the project that's awesome um you you mentioned like wanting to green the desert elaborate yeah it's like <laughs> yeah it's my ultimate dream now these days is to um turn a desert into a forest you know and uh hold back the water because a lot of a lot well a lot of in general is it like you were saying is that or about to say is that like in a city you want the water to um leave as fast as possible you want so like your house you want it to be drained away from your house as fast as possible but in land we're actually trying to slow it down to take the slowest route off your property and what's happening now is like you have these like hills that are or like mountains that are foot like that are bald you know so when it does rain it just like kind of like goes off and goes into the creek from the creek into a river a river into the into a lake or a dam and then after it gets pushed out into the ocean and then you never see it again you know and it's taking the fastest and then there's erosion patterns and trying to if if no one's gonna like if there's no human intervention and it's already at that stage of like de degradation, it's never going to come back. You need to come in and kind of like turn it into a more positive, um, to more of a more positive, like uh, less um, erosion pattern, slowing down through like swales or through net and pans, different strategies to slow down the water so that it can sink onto your property so that you don't, so that like all that water water wasn't your aquifer like or um, starts creating soil or that grass instead of being up for two months it's up for three months and then slowly it's re-greening you know like you get grass and then you get shrubs and then you go from a shrub to a tree and then you go from a tree to maybe um because you've casted so much shade you can start growing a tree that like an oak tree that can live for, like that can for up to two thousand years old you know and breaking that cycle um yeah so there's like different strategies but my whole goal is to re-green the desert with refugees 
um, because they're already in the most, usually in the most, um, in the places that are gonna hit climate change, like first, you know. Yeah, the places that are going we to have be these, um, most affected earliest on in the process of climate change. Yeah, are gonna be like places in the Middle East or in Northern Africa or in like mid, like in Asia, you know, or in like Australia, some parts of Australia is like, certifying and yeah even in canada and in california we're starting to see that you know where places are starting to become deserts you know like uh bc and alberta are like small places that are like you have cactus that grow there you know that are starting to pop up hmm. where they're like starting to become deserts so um yeah so that's the whole that's the dream right there is and that, to uh so you want to green the desert and you were working in jordan and you just came from iraq yeah where i was working with uh another organization called um uh, for a friend a permaculturist friend and he's been uh yeah he's been he's been doing this for about 15 years now so i'm kind of like he's been doing permaculture design and working in 15 or 25 countries busy guy so he's been doing he, what you're doing yeah he's been yeah he's kind of like a teacher slash friend and mentor um and he's been he's been um sending me well he sent me to iraq because i was telling him oh i was gonna go to jordan and he's like oh before you go there you know come to my my uh to my demonstration camp my demonstration site in in kurdistan kurdistan iraq and that's where he he has like a a bigger i guess name and he's been out there for a lot longer so he has like um yeah he has like a bit uh more contracts i guess for um organizations and he um invited me to teach farming to um, um syrian refugees and locals that with um the hungarian help and hungarian aid that's awesome man uh, foundation I, I love what you're doing i, I love hearing about <laughs> it we're coming up on two hours here i don't want to take up your whole day yeah, yeah, yeah. i'm sure you got other stuff to do to, yeah, so exactly. let's let's wrap this up uh one one thing that i like to ask every guest this is a little bit off topic so if you imagine the consciousness is represented by a little man in your head watching a computer screen okay and just bear with and you know how people put sticky notes on their computer monitor to try and remind themselves of things yeah yeah so if you could write something on a sticky note that would just suddenly at the snap of a finger appear inside the consciousness of every human on the planet what would you write on that sticky note that's a good question that's that's good um yeah say um wow think about that but um i guess i would stick on a bit of the topic of um today of being uh Remember to stay, um, have a lot of gratitude and vulnerability, you know, and judgment, like to minimize the judgment and have kindness, nice. more kindness, I think. Gratitude, that would vulnerability, be, that would be no judgment, more and, kindness. Uh, I think you could fit all that on a yeah. sticky note for the four little lines yeah. there. That's awesome. Yeah. I like that. That's a good answer. That's what I would stick. So is there anything that you want to say before we kind of sign off here? Um, um, just remember to, to for all your uh, listeners, to, uh, just to continue dreaming and uh, to, uh, yeah, it's uh, maybe stick off the, the rat race. <laughs> and just like we have a very short time on the planet and um remember to enjoy every day and laugh and make the best of this life and you're not you're not locked 
into a prison cell and you can do whatever you set your mind to. Nice. Is what yeah. I would uh, finish off. Yeah, that's good. That's a good final message. I like that. What What about uh, Pete, anyone that wants to reach out to you for any reason? Where can they get in contact with you? <clears throat> they could uh, contact me through uh, through in uh, social media is the best place. Um, Derek Myatt on Instagram or um, my email is DerekMyatt at gmail.com who uses emails these days so social (laughs) media (laughs) is uh, the best place to find me perfect or we'll wrap that up here thank you listener for listening this far hey you listening to this right now you yes you I appreciate that you've listened to it this far that's awesome and that means that you at least enjoyed it or else you would have stopped it and went and done something else and it would be really cool if you could share it with someone i'm sure you know somebody that might also enjoy it so just you know hit the little share button and there will be like a link you can copy and you can just text it to your bff jill i don't know if you know a jill i don't know just somebody just Share it with one person and I will be forever grateful. Thank you. Have a great day.